Early this morning, I was at the dentist getting a filling. And uh, the dentist knew I was a preacher, and so she gives me those shots in my gum, on the bottom right of my gum. And, oh, God, I hate those. They're terrible. And so she gives this shot, and it starts to sink in. And she said, what's your sermon on tonight? I'm like, man, this is cool. My dentist is asking me what I'm preaching on. She's a lady, and I said, sanctification. <laughs> right? She said, what is that? Sanctification. And she says, is that like being made a saint? And the, the hygienist said, is that like being a sanctuary? I said, no, sanctification is that God makes us clean from sin. Literally like Gomer Powell sitting there in a dentist chair. Said justification, God makes us right with God, but sanctification, God makes us clean from sin. And she says, well, I'm Greek Orthodox. How does that happen? And I said, what happened through faith by grace alone, not by works? All right, she said, does it happen, uh, you know, do, do you have, is that something that you, you got to keep at or is it, you know, being a good person? She said, I don't go to church that much. And I said, well, I've been, I've been going to church. ain't going to get you heaven. It's by faith. And so literally for five minutes, I shared the gospel with half a mouth working. That was so exciting. I'm going to send you my sermon on video so you can hear about it. But even that, man, it got better when I got to the office. Some, some ladies were unloading some stuff for the yard sale. So I came out there to get the key and open it and everything. And I said, I said y'all forgive my mouth. I had a feeling this morning. I, I turned around to go get the key. And uh, the one lady said to the other, she said, was his mouth swollen? And the lady said, of course it was. He said he went to the dentist. She says, oh, I thought he said he got a feeling. Like, what does that mean? Man, I got a feeling I can't talk right. You know what I mean? Y'all excuse my mouth because I got a feeling today. That might be true. It might be true. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6 and praise God, I hope I get a feeling. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to pick up the word tonight. And uh, if I'm a little loopy, it's called the light of Cain still in my system. Let's stand up in the house of God, Romans 6, 5 through 7. The scripture says this, If we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. May God bless the reading of his word. Be seated in the house of God. My message tonight is that sanctification is a progressive understanding of who we are in Christ. Now there's two views of sanctification. One is that sanctification is an event where Christ makes us clean through faith. The other view of sanctification is that sanctification is a process. That we are gradually made clean and made into the likeness of Christ through discipleship. So the question a lot of people ask, is sanctification an event? Or is it a process? And I believe it's both. I believe we are made clean through faith. 
but we don't fully understand that reality until we see it revealed through our life. And honestly, I think all Christian growth is founded on learning who I am in Jesus. That the more I learn who I am, the better of a Christian I will be. I mean, if we think about it, what's going to make us grow as a Christian? What's the fertilizer on the plant, if you will? And, and we don't get, I, I don't believe we get more grace. I mean, the grace that saves us is the grace that keeps us. I, I, I don't believe we get a different spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit, we get salvation is the same. That's going to be there 30s years later. So what is it that makes us stronger? It's a progressive understanding of who I am in Christ Jesus. That's how we grow. So that's the process of sanctification. Upon looking at this scripture, we see first and foremost that verse 5 says, We have been united together. In the likeness of his death. And I looked at the word united, and it's kind of from the word symphony. Symphonos means grafted together, and it means that we're planted together, grown together, and born together. So we're planted together with Christ in death. It's like in Christ's death, we had our seed and Christ's seed planted together with him so that what comes forth is a united offspring, a united uh, uh, entity. That, that before Christ, we're separate from him. The Bible says we're enemies with God in our mind, but through the ministry of reconciliation, we're brought back to Jesus and literally grafted together with him. Now, I'm not smart about like, the botanist type stuff, and maybe some of you study horticulture. I don't know how they graft one plant into another where it makes a new plant. And that's what happens with us. That we're grafted into the vine of Christ so that what comes out is a conjoined vine. A conjoined entity. You ever seen somebody that like somehow parked a car on a tree and that tree grew up and literally there was a tree grown up around the car? You ever seen that? Nobody's seen that before. Okay, praise God. The internet exists, folks. It's 2014. Go home, Pinterest car tree. You know, tree car. And it literally grows around a tree so you'll never get the car out of the tree. Now it's a tree car. It's grown together, and that's what happens. I mean, God parks us over the tree of Christ, and Christ grows up all around us. So, you know, we can't get out. We're, we're surrounded with His grace, and we grow together. Um, I, I, I believe when we look at this scripture that we've been united with Him in death. I think, and I'm not giving a negative connotation about united in death. I think about marriage. You know, some people call it a wedding. Some others call it a funeral. If you think about it, it's kind of the same thing. Come down the aisle, that's the same thing when they're going to have your funeral. They're going to roll you right down here. You know, the ending of one life, the beginning of another. No longer is there two, the two shall become one flesh. I mean, this is what, this is what we say in our marriage language. It's no longer me, it's us. It's no longer I, it's we. There is a new entity. That's what happens in salvation. That we are united. I don't say we're united in matrimony. I said we're united in mortuary. Like a mortuary is where people go when they die. We're united in death 
with Christ. And that seems like a morbid thing, but the death of Jesus Christ is what bought our soul. The death of Jesus Christ is what made salvation possible. So we have to see that this death was a beautiful thing. Nowhere, I mean, nowhere normally in our society do we celebrate death. I mean, I, I hate it when, like, you know, a puppy dog dies. But, but see, we see death as like a, a sad thing. But in the Bible, the death of Christ was, was indeed the key that unlocked salvation. I mean, that was it. And we're united in that beauty. The scripture talks about matrimony. Jesus said in Mark 10, 6, that at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Now, a lot of people said Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Let me read the words of Jesus to you right here. Mark 10. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That's that same word. United to his wife. Jesus may not have mentioned homosexuality, but he mentioned what marriage is. And it says a man shall be united to his wife. Can we, can we be okay with that in the house of God tonight? You see, once we get away from this, and I'm going to tell you what, you can go to states in this union under this flag, and two men can be united. You see what I'm saying? So, so here's what people have done. They trump this flag over this flag. And that's the danger that happens when we, when we allow our patriotism to rise above our Christianity. we got to understand that this is what our allegiance pledges to. And he says in the scripture that, that man will be united with his wife. That same word. Now I want you to think about the, the, the beauty of, of a marriage. That, that husband and wife, they come together. And, they're, and they're, the, the scripture says one flesh. One flesh. All right, I mean, that's one of the happiest things. I just read that the average wedding in New York City right now, $76,000. The average New York City wedding, $76,000. This is how high people in our culture elevate marriage. And I think that's a big deal. That's a big day. You know, it's not like you're going to Krispy Kreme or something. I mean, this is it. People make a big deal about it. So if it's that a big deal, becoming one flesh, we've got to see that in our Christianity, that we've been united with Christ. Not just one flesh, but one spirit. With Jesus Christ. So now you know, when my wife, if, if man, if she wants, you know, uh, uh, green curtains, green curtains, right? You want beige walls? Beige walls, okay? It's, it's one flesh. It's operating together. It should be the same with Jesus. Where he goes, I goes. Where he stays, I stays. All those things, we should be operating with him. Y'all know what I mean, gentlemen. But not only are we united in his death, the scripture also says we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Not only united in death, but also united in life that just as Christ has been raised from the dead and he was intrinsically different, he could pass through walls. He had the nails in his hands, the the piercing in his side and he could still exist and man I mean he could just pop through walls 
You know, no longer waiting in the lines at Carowinds. Whoosh, right through. I mean, this was his, this his new body. Right? And just as he is a new, a new entity, we are spiritually made new, intrinsically different than we were before. Just as he was resurrected new, we live resurrected lifestyle. Because what did Jesus say when he came to, to uh, uh, Martha at Lazarus' grace? She says, I know I will see him at the resurrection. But Jesus didn't point her to that hope. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Jesus says, it's not about who you're going to see. It's about me. Okay? Have y'all seen Heaven is for Real? Okay. Big debate going on about this movie. I'll tell you why there's a big debate about this movie. Number one, no one in Scripture who was raised from the dead had anything to say about heaven. If heaven is as awesome as the books say it is, which I believe it is, how come Lazarus didn't come from and say, Wow, guess what I saw? They didn't say these things. And if you'll notice in these books, a lot of times in these books, it's like, man, grandpa was there. And, and mama was there, and on and on and on. Guys, I hate to burst the bubble. We're not going to heaven for grandpa. We're not going to heaven for mama. I'm not even sure if we're going to recognize mama in heaven. Because Jesus said, once we go to heaven, it won't be husband and wife. And if the husband and wife relationship, which is one flesh, is not the same, how much different is Mom and dad. I'm not one flesh with mom. The scripture gives us no, no indication that we're going there to see mama. The indication is that we're going there to see Christ. Because we are united with Christ. Not grandpa, not grandma, not mama. And I guarantee when we get to heaven and we see the glory of a manifested God before us, we won't have a concern about, man, where's grandpa? Do you see this? If you think that we're going to get there and like, I've been waiting for Paul Paul for 17 millennia. Man, if we have that conception of heaven, we've missed the point of Jesus. And if we're going there for something other than Jesus, I'm not sure we're going there. <laughs> are, are we on the same page tonight? Brother Glenn, we still together. Amen. We're united with Christ. We're united in his resurrection. You see, formerly, we were slaves to sin. Our will was in bondage because the law held us captive. But now, the law and sin no longer reigns over us because we have been crucified with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. We, we need to meditate on this reality tonight. That we have been crucified with Christ. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Sin no longer reigns in the flesh, and I can declare, novus ordo corporum. Y'all have no idea what that means. Who's got a dollar bill on them? Anybody got a dollar bill in your wallet? We're going to start passing a plate on Wednesday nights. I'm going to tell you what. No, it won't do much. Good, let me see this right here. All right, see, back on the dollar bill, I don't know, I've I mentioned this. You see the pyramid? 
You know the conspiracy theories that talk about a new world order? Y'all heard about those conspiracy theories? Well, ever since the gold standard was removed from our currency, the pyramid says annuit coeptus, that's Latin for announcing the birth, novus ordo seclorum, a new world order. The question isn't, is, will a new world order happen? The, the reality is it's already here. That's beside the point. So what does this mean? Novus ordo seclorum, that there's a new ruler in charge. Here you go, brother. There's a new ruler in charge, and I'm not going to talk about that, because let me tell you, the government, the nation, it will all be against Christ at the end of the day. All right, so we're on the pathway there. All the nations will be against Christ. We're on that pathway. But what I am saying is, see, we don't have to say a new world order. We can say through Christ a new bodily order. That there is a new ruler in town. There is a new sheriff in town operating over me that is ushering in a new era in my life. Formerly, I ruled my life. Formerly, I was in charge. But now, it's no longer the I who's in charge. It is the I am who's in charge. Next, I want us to know, based upon verse 6. That our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. The old self, which was controlled by sin, has died. We will not be able to understand that we have victory over sin today until we understand that what held us in captive is no longer alive. This is how sanctification... See, a lot of people say, man, I don't like theology. I like practical stuff. Let me tell you how sanctification is practical. You will never practically overcome sin until you know how theologically correct your identity is. Your practicality rests in your theology and your understanding of your nature in Christ Jesus. So we're like, man, I need to know how to, how to be helped in my life. I'm going to help you today. Your identity is fixed in Jesus Christ. The reason we struggle with sin is because we think we're still in control. I still think I'm in bondage. I still think that I'm stumbling. This does not have to be. And the reason sanctification is so important is because the more I begin to realize that I'm a new person, a new creature, the more I'm able to proclaim victory over sin that has held me captive. So sanctification is indeed... Your pathway to practical, holy living. Now, too many ministers do it the wrong way. They say, you need to get right. You need to start living right. You need to like that boy. You need to quit living to the music. You need to quit dressing that way. Let me tell you something. No one's going to get free by condemning their dress. No one's going to get free by condemning their music. We're going to get free by seeing Jesus Christ. We're going to get free by seeing the cross. And, and what happens is we, fix, we fixate on the behavior. Man, homosexuals are bad. Man, drug addicts are bad. That doesn't help them. What helps them is grace through the cross that has conquered your sin. People have done it wrong for so many years. So it says that our old man was crucified with Christ. And I've been meditating on this today. What is the old man? And I think there are 
three things that can prize the old man. Number one is the will. Number two is the self. Number three is the ego. Now in philosophy, these are big topics. The will, the self, and the ego. But we, we diminish these things in Christianity. Because we want to be spiritual and we don't want to talk about things that actually exist. But these things actually exist. What is the will? The will is our desire. What is the self? The self is our personality. And the ego is our perception. Or I would rather write identity. Now, what I want you to know is that sanctification is the understanding that all of these things have been crucified, but also united with Christ Jesus. And we're going to explain how this works in a second. You see, the will says, what do I want? The self asks, what am I? And the ego says, who am I? Now let's explain this for a moment in the illustration. The world, here's how the world identifies our makeup. Y'all follow me for a second. Is it warm? Brother, will you turn on the fans for us? The world defines our identity. The world defines our identity by our desires. So for example, let's say a young lady, young teenage girl, young college girl says... I want someone to love me. Therefore, I need to appear lovable. Therefore, my identity is, I'm going to let anyone love on me who will. This is, this is the, modern, the worldly mentality. The worldly mentality says, I need a husband... So I need to act like I'm attractive. I need to flaunt myself. I need to show skin. On and on and on. Okay. I just came back from the beach. Thank you, Jesus, for sanctification. All right. Evidently, I went to a different beach than y'all went to. No one wants to laugh in church today. So I need to flaunt myself. That's who I am to appear lovable. And therefore, I'm going to let anyone love me who will because this is what I want. So the want has defined the identity. That's the way the world operates. But let's talk about Adam and Eve. You see, Adam and Eve had a relationship with God. Their identity was they were a child of God. But the serpent came in and said, Look, your personality is lacking characteristics that God has. So Satan didn't tempt them about their identity. He tempted them about their personality. He tempted the self. And because they looked at God and says, Well, God has knowledge of good and evil. Therefore, I don't have that I want 
knowledge of good and evil. So Satan tempted them here and it led to the will being fallen. It led to the will being tainted. Sin ultimately is when the will desires something that is contrary to the identity. And this is why I'm saying that sanctification is where once we continue to see our identity and we root ourselves here in Christ, the less and less temptation is a motivation for us. Because if I'm fixated on my identity, I am right with God. I am at peace with God. Then therefore my want doesn't matter. Because my identity is already rooted. How many are just plumb lost? Be honest with me right now. You're just plumb lost. Thank you so much. One honest sister in the house of God. Let's turn to Jeremiah 31 for a moment. We're going to break this down. I'm going to show you how the new covenant reality fixes all these things. And how the crucifixion of self leads to our unification of Christ, which is all these things are changed. Jeremiah 31. When you get there, say word. Okay. Jeremiah 31, we're going to look at verse 33. He's speaking of the new covenant. That's the covenant we exist in. And if you'll understand this, that he makes the covenant with Israel. Because he says in verse 33 that this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. And remember what I've been saying back earlier in Romans? Who is Israel? It is the spiritually sanctified in Christ Jesus. You see, when the Bible talks about Israel under the new covenant, it's not talking about a place, it's talking about a people. No longer is God a nationalistic God. You see, before Christ, God was a nationalistic God. God was the God of Palestine. God was the God of the Israelites, of Jacob, on and on and on. No longer is God a nationalistic God. He's not the God of America. He's the God of spiritual Israel, which is the redeemed and sanctified people. So understand right now that you and I are engrafted into Israel here in 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now here's how we're going to work backwards. I'm going to work backwards. See, first, not first. But the main point of the process is God fixates our identity. He says at the end, I will be their God and they will be my people. So he's saying their identity is going to be rooted in me. Now look how this works backwards. I will put my law in their mind. We will have a mind consciousness Of God's grace and mercy. I want you to look down. 1 verse 34. End of 34 says. I will forgive their iniquity. And sins I will remember no more. This is the reality of the new covenant under Jesus Christ. So when he says I will put my law in their minds. Law is a a word in the New Testament. That's used for the precepts of God. The statutes of God. And this law is referring to verse 34. The precepts of God's grace and forgiveness. 
That's why we can't take one scripture out of context. We look at the whole passage. That grace and forgiveness is going to be rooted in our personality. So our our identity is we're children of God. Our personality is that we're forgiven of iniquity. We're forgiven. And then what does it say after that? Oh, I'm sorry. He's going to write it in their hearts because we're going to have a heart of forgiveness. And then the will, my law, in their minds. So he fixes all those things under the new covenant. We're children of God. We have a salvation heart, forgiven of sins, and a God consciousness in our mind, the desire. All these things are fixed under the new covenant. The ego, the self, and the will are made new. This is the reality of sanctification. That I am rooted in Christ, that my heart is forgiven. My personality is not defined by what I want. It's defined by what God has made me. I'm forgiven through Jesus. And therefore, my desires can now glorify God because no longer are my desires attached to worldly things. My desires flow from my identity. So now we have a top-down approach through the Spirit instead of a bottom-up approach through the world. Because honestly, the world has no idea who their identity is. The reason is because your will's going to change every day. Man, today I want an iPod. Tomorrow I want a PlayStation. Today I want Reeboks. Tomorrow I want Nikes. And if Justin Timberlake wears, you know, some kind of jeans, then that's what I want. So it's always, I don't know who I am because this is what's dictating us. But once we're fixed here, our identity's in Christ. The old self has died. We're united with Jesus. Our identity is fixed. Now, this is a heart consciousness of forgiveness, and our mind is focused on the precepts of God. Man, that was a lot. But here's what we can know. That once those things are fixed, once the will has died, once the old will has died, once the self has died, once the ego has died, that these are realities crucified with Christ, united with Christ in death, then what is raised is all new. So whether you know it or not tonight, through faith, you have a new identity. You have a new personality. Some church people need to act like it. But that's sanctification. You know? And you have a new desire. All these things are present. But we're continually learning what they are. You see, Christian growth is not the improvement of your desires. Christian growth is not you desiring God more. Christian growth is understanding of what God has already put in you. And so like I told the dentist today. That sanctification happens. By faith. Through grace. That's how it happens. Not by works. Not by merit. Not because we're good. Not because we deserve it. I had a lady. She's a friend. And she quoted the Quran on her page. And I said. What in the world are you quoting the Quran for? 
And she says, well, well, all these books, and she started naming the books of Buddha and the books of Quran and the book of Enoch and stuff. I have no idea. She's like, I read all these books because all these talk about God. They do talk about God, just different ones. Because the Quran says, Allah had no son. So whoever the Quran God is, is not the Bible God. One time I was having a discussion with my cousin. She's got dreadlocks and an art major, and that's cool. And she was like, man, I thought we all worshipped the same God. And I said, how is that possible? How is it possible that the God of the Koran, who commands the killing of the infidels, is the same God of the New Testament, who commands that we die because we're Christian? That's not the same message. One says, sacrifice your life. The other one says, take the lives of others. They're not the same books. Buddha didn't die on a cross, nor rise from the grave. Not the same books. But see, all these other religions tell you that your sanctification depends on your merit, your effort, how good you are. And a lot of church people think that. A lot of church people think, well, as long as I come to church enough, as long as I serve enough, as long as I give enough, God will let me into heaven. My friend, God will not let you in based on any of those things. It must be Christ alone, or it's not Christ at all. There's a great preacher I've been following lately. His name's Tulian Chavidian. And his quote says this, Jesus plus nothing. Equals everything. It's not Jesus plus works. It's not Jesus plus law. It's not Jesus plus high Sunday school attendance. It's not Jesus plus how much of a biblical scholar you are. It's Jesus plus nothing. Is everything. That's salvation. That's how we're rooted in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you will help this word be impressed upon our heart tonight, God. That your Holy Spirit would take it and... Just reveal it to us. Just open it up, God. I pray that we drive on the way home and just have a revelation as we're driving. We are made right through Christ. We can't improve upon that. We can't take away from that. Only thing we can do is enjoy it and glorify you. So God, help us. We need you. Like we sang this earlier, we need you every hour. Not just every day. Every hour helping us with your spirit. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said.